There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Your life in Christ is lived in faith and in love. Faith in Christ is bound to be to produce fruits of loving service for the neighbor. This loving service of the neighbor then is evidence of faith in Christ. And yet there are those who claim to have faith in Christ and yet have little or no love for their neighbor. And there are those who outwardly show love for their neighbor and yet inwardly have no faith in Christ. Your external words and deeds are bound to your internal thoughts. But it's not always evident what those thoughts are internally. So you might do great acts of charity and philanthropy, and yet do them for less than altruistic purposes. It turns out that some of the greatest acts of outward charity have been done with the aim to bring suffering and misery. And sometimes those with the best intent and motives outwardly seem to be the least loving. Perhaps they struggle to put into action what they know to be good, right, and true. Or perhaps the truth requires them to make hard choices, to enact discipline, and to suffer short-term harm for long-term gain. Assuming motive is dangerous. And trying to suss out motive from external actions and words, that also is dangerous, actually impossible. No one but God can look into the human heart and to know what motivates you or others. That doesn't stop you from trying to figure out what motivates others, either to demonize one another, impugning mo false motives, on each other, or perhaps trying to justify yourself and others for what you do or say, all under the guise or pretext of good intent. You draw battle lines on tribal, political, and ideological grounds, all based on motive. You'll fight for or against the truth, depending on who's involved, or what they stand for, or what you stand to gain or lose. But that doesn't mean that those who stand in public office are excused from what they say or do. In particular, those who serve in public trust, whether politician, scientist, or pastor, must be prepared to make a defense for their speech and their actions. Their motive does matter, and it has to be found out. Because without this apology or defense of actions and words, there can be no trust. When those in public office fail to give an account for what they say or do, then they publicly must be corrected and disciplined as needed. It is true they can be forgiven their fault for their bad judgment, their mistakes, but sometimes their errors are so egregious that they can no longer serve in their office. That's what civil laws are for, to protect and preserve the well-being of neighbors. 
And this judgment of motive, while never executed perfectly, it's necessary for good order in society. You might have in mind uh, a particular scientist that was in the news this week. So how might we understand why those whom we've entrusted leadership to, why do they fail us so often? At the highest level, we confess that all mankind, including us, are born sinful and are under the captivity of the devil. That means that every thought and every word and every deed is done in self-service and for selfish personal gain, without exception. Because outside of faith in Christ, you can have no love, no charity. Just listen to the Apostle John today. Outside of the forgiveness of sins that is yours in Christ's shed blood, you are left with only hate or to despise or to ignore your neighbor and their needs. It's only when Christ Jesus claims you as his own can there be and will there be any love or charity, peace or good order. That means that every act of righteousness done civilly, that is in the state, for the good of society, it's always done tainted with selfishness for personal gain. It's usually monetary for wealth. It's true that there yet remain God-fearing believers that serve us in, the, in offices of public trust. They seek to serve you out of the faith they have in Christ Jesus. And thanks, God, thanks be to God for them. But they, like you, remain sinners in the flesh. The temptation, then, for these in public office to greed and self-interest, it's always there nipping at their heels. And the reality is that the further the institution or organization is from you, that is from real personal contact, the more likely their selfishness will overwhelm even God-given love. Even faithful Christians serving in public office when their neighbor is distant from them will be tempted to see them just as another number on a spreadsheet, part of a broad problem to be solved, or maybe just a tool or a stepping stone to gain greater wealth and control. Now, you can blame these figures of public trust all you want, but I think you actually understand them. Consider this. Consider the way that we've, as a church, unloaded love and charity on 501c3s and larger church bodies, international organizations, even giving it to large governments. Can a government love? Can it show charity? Not according to the apostle. And by unloading love and charity on all these big institutions that are far and distant from us and are large and ungainly, makes it just easier for us to ignore, neglect, and forget the real need of those who are right here around us. We can blame our lack of love on the government or on the climate or on the ineptitude of the church body. All the while, we miss the neighbor who's right there in front of us. God laid poor Lazarus at our gate, and we look right past him, day in and day out, deferring responsibility, deflecting blame to 
to those agencies and institutions we think are now responsible for them. Call it the welfare state if you want. But they are right there in front of us. God has given to us generously. There is your neighbor in need of your love and your charity. Of course, maybe you're asking, is that really true? I don't see people in need around me. Well, you're probably thinking too hard about it. Just start small. Consider the need of your family, close by and, and then distant. Work out to those extended family. Talk to those living next door to you or down the street. Look around you even today here in the sanctuary and consider those of our congregation. Or maybe talk to the president of the village or town and they'll know somebody in need. And that's probably enough to keep you active and busy in love and charity each and every day. And if you want, you can think bigger too, like supporting our mission of the month, the Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach, or think bigger like we did with Compassion International, which despite being a large organization, encourage you, encourages you to support an individual. They get it right. But maybe you're also fighting back in your mind right now, saying you can't do it. You've got too, much, too many other commitments to love your neighbor, too much work, or maybe you have too little resources, too many to care for on your own, and thus too little love to give. And that's the sort of thinking that puts you right where the rich man was. He thought of himself in terms of his material possessions, and always in terms of poverty, not having enough. His stuff has him so turned in on himself that he cannot bother or even imagine a way to help the poor man whom God has plopped down right onto his doorstep. It's not really, as we know from the narrator's perspective, that he can't love the poor, poor Lazarus. It's simply that he's so turned in on himself that he won't. His own self-interest and selfishness has become his God overwhelming even his vision to see Lazarus there. He's, so, he's self-absorbed and all-consumed by his own interests. There's not even a mention of his family, a wife and children, except later when he's in torment and he remembers his five brothers. He's so lost the sight of reality that he lives an isolated life, surrounded not by friends and neighbors, but rather by his fine linens, his home, his feasts, and his fences. The benefit of the story today is that unlike us, God can look upon his heart and he tells us what's going on. Jesus reveals to us exactly what has gotten in the way of love and charity with that rich man. It's absolutely not his ability, his lack of means, or even time. He feasts sumptuously every day. He's, all those, he's got all those things, although, like I said, he probably didn't think he had enough of them. No, the rich man is unconcerned about things that actually matter. And he's totally wrapped up in things that don't. And the things that matter actually aren't first caring for poor Lazarus. No, everything he has put his fear, hope, and trust in, that's his stuff, all of that is going to see moth and dust and rust and decay, and even the worm. 
All the while, what he's actually lost sight of isn't just poor Lazarus, but he's lost sight of the only thing that really matters, faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Because that's the only, only one, Jesus is the only one who can save him from his selfishness, from his stuff, from his consumed consumer life, from his staring at his own belly button day in and day out. Only Jesus can save him. And where does this faith that saves him come from? Well, it comes from Abraham, to whom Jesus revealed the will and purpose of God the Father. Abraham, to whom Jesus was promised. The promise of Christ Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, by whom you and all the nations are blessed, saved from selfishness. As Abraham said to him when he was in torment, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Moses, who testifies of the promise made to Abraham. Moses, not only he, but also the rest of the prophets and the psalmists, indeed the entire scriptures, testifying to Jesus Christ and salvation in him and him alone. See, it all begins and ends with the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus. No one can live in faithful service and self-giving love for the neighbor apart from first and always receiving the faithful and self-sacrificing love of Christ and him crucified. That's what he was missing, receiving Jesus. And so you receive Jesus for your forgiveness. And then you believe that he'll work love for your neighbor. You don't have to work too hard at it. He does it, even when you're not even paying attention. You don't need to go about your life inspecting and seeing, have I really loved my neighbor the way that I ought, although that's helpful. But that only leads you back to faith in Christ for the forgiveness of those sins. You don't need to look to all your acts of charity to prove your faith. Simply believe and live in love as he's given you to do. So, like poor Lazarus, remain in Jesus' word. Remain in your baptism. Remain in Christ's body and blood in the supper. These gifts that actually give faith. And then the Lord will work all the loving for and through you that the world needs. May God grant it in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.